I mean, I'm exaggerating. <laughs> well, let's pray. Oh, Father, you are gracious and good to us in many, many ways, and and we are not as thankful and grateful as we ought to be. Uh, that makes us like like children, Lord. And uh, but thank you for your patience with us, <clears throat> and that you're that you are our Father, and. We ask tonight that you once again would refresh our minds as as we look at your word, uh, especially about the commissions that you've given to us as your people. We thank you for sending the Lord Jesus on that great, great mission to save your people, and that, and that we're part of that. Uh, Lord, uh, help us not to forget that. <clears throat> Lord, uh, we we pray for... For Dr. Thomas and his healing, uh, we miss, miss his presence, Lord, and, and for others. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Sounds a little bright, but okay, we're, we're studying the New Testament, and we're just going in chronological order, and we're at uh, the end of the Gospels, where Jesus has resurrected and he is spending, how many days is he spending with his disciples? Forty days, that's correct. We're, we're in that period of time from resurrection day to ascension when he departs, and that's a 40-day period. And what's, what's the next big redemptive event after that? After, after his ascension, what's the next big event? Pentecost. Oh, it's still up there on the board. Yeah. So that's 10 days from the 40. And why, why is it called Pentecost? Pentecost. Five. <laughs> right, Mark. Pent means five. Five or 50. <clears throat> so that's where we are. And during those 40 days, the Lord, uh, um, yeah, this thing is too bright. Hey, Hugo? You go. Turn this lapel down a little bit. It's it's just a little bit. So uh, during those forty days, one of the things Jesus did is he gave his disciples what we've called the Great Commission, having to do with the spread of the gospel to all the all the world. And <clears throat> the most commonly known passage is Matthew twenty-eight, of course. But the Great Commission passage shows up in three places, Matthew, Luke, and John. And we've been looking at each of those, and uh, tonight we're finishing on Luke. Uh, we're on page 248 there, the right-hand column, and Dave must be out on security, uh, so I would joke him a little bit. Dave sidetracked us for the last 20 minutes of the class, which was just fine because Discussion and questions in this environment are just are just great. I, I really enjoy this, and I think it's profitable for us to be able to field our questions and thoughts as we go. So, so we were at uh, Luke's Great Commission, so let's go there. It's going to be Luke 24, um, <clears throat> verses 44 uh, down through 48 and 49. Let's review this. Then Jesus said to them, These are the words which I spoke with you while I was with you. 
that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And this is vital that they understand that, that, that this plan uh, for Jesus to come and have his ministry and die and rise again on the third day, this was all according to the Old Testament Scripture. And he's reviewing that with them, uh, all those things uh, concerning him. And he, opened, and he opened their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. What, what, is, what does Scriptures refer to here? The Old Testament, exactly. He's referring to the Old Testament at this point in history. We don't have a New Testament yet. New Testament's not written. He's talking about the very Old Testament which you and I have, which the Jewish people used at the time of Christ so that they could understand that Old Testament correctly. And uh, thus he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise. So since it's written in the Old Testament Scripture, it has to come to pass. Since it's written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. The stumbling block, of course, is right there. Uh, many of the Jews could not, they could not get a hold of the concept that King Jesus, King Messiah, was going to, be, was going to suffer. And yet, that is plainly laid out in Old Testament Scripture. So they came to understand that, of course, and to rise from the dead the third day. So those things are written. And also, it is written, um, not only was this previous, the, not only was the previous things written up to Jesus' death and resurrection, the Old Testament also talks about what's going to happen after Jesus' resurrection. So you see, the Old Testament is not all fulfilled just because Jesus died and rose again. There's a whole bunch of that Old Testament that still relates to be, waits to be fulfilled. And he talks about that in verse 47. We, we could read it like this. Thus it is written that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. So the Great Commission is actually already in the Old Testament that, that Messiah is going to bring the gospel not just to Israel, but to all the nations. And we looked at a few passages, especially like in Isaiah 42, there's a bunch of places in the Old Testament that talk about what the calling of the Gentiles into the people of God. And that also is written in the Old Testament. And guess what? That also has to be fulfilled. And that's why we're here tonight. Any Jews here tonight? None of us are Jewish here tonight. Right? But we're here. We're here because repentance and remission of sin has been preached in His name to all nations, including ours. So, beginning, beginning at, at, at Jerusalem. And uh, so, uh, that's Luke, Luke's uh, capturing of Jesus' great commission. Uh, and Luke gives us some of the content of the message, doesn't he? Repentance and or for, most translations have for here, for the remission of sins. 
And in reviewing a little bit, we talked how radical that was because up to this point in time, the way you got forgiveness of sins was through the Mosaic Covenant priesthood. And we'll look at that again when we get to John. But now, remission of sins is to be preached not by following the Mosaic Covenant priesthood at the temple. This is a whole new dimension. Remission of sins is now going to be preached based on repentance and remission of sins in what? In His name. Not Moses' name. This is a massive transition here. We don't realize it because we're not Jewish people living right at this time. But if you were a Jewish person living at this time, you knew the law and you would follow the procedure in the law for remission of sins. So this is amazing statement that Jesus says in, my, in his name. Remission of sins is in his name. So we'll talk about that some more when we get to John. So um, I think where we stopped was like that third paragraph um, Actually, the second paragraph on page 248. So let's go on there. Um, These apostles, and likely the women who followed Jesus from Galilee, that Luke intentionally reports as being at the cross, at Jesus' burial, and they were the first, they were the first to see Jesus as, uh, as he was resurrected. They were the first, the, the women. I, I, I want to mention this here, Luke's, Luke's witnesses. Oh, okay, I'm sorry, here we are. And you are witnesses of these things. I've got to get, get straight in my own notes. So, the, you are witnesses of these things. That includes the apostles, of course, but it also includes other disciples. And I believe it includes the women that Luke especially makes a point to show us in his gospel. So that, that's what I'm saying. And we're looking at verse 48 there. Is, is these apostles and likely the women who followed Jesus from Galilee that Luke intentionally reports as being at the cross. We saw that. It's Luke who says the actual names of the women that were at the cross. And Luke mentions the names of those women. Where else were they? Where else were they? At the tomb, at the burial site. He specifically mentions these women, that they they were at the cross, and he mentions that they were at the burial site, and he mentions they are the women who followed Jesus all the way from Galilee. And you are witnesses of these things. And so witnesses in this context means from the beginning of Jesus' ministry. These are eyewitnesses from the beginning. And let me show you a few other verses. John fifteen twenty seven. 27. Um, Jesus is telling them he's going to give them the help of the Holy Spirit whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will, the Holy Spirit, will testify of Jesus. 
And you also will bear witness, why? Because you have, been, you have been with me from the beginning. This is a technical expression, from the beginning. It's very significant. And they're going to be witnesses because they've been with Jesus from the beginning. And, and what this is referring to is the beginning of, with John the Baptist. When, when, Jesus brought, when Jesus began his public ministry, he went to John the Baptist to be baptized. And these expressions that say, you've been with me from the beginning, meaning you have been a witness with me through my enti- entire public ministry, through my death and resurrection. So they're not just witnesses of the resurrection, they're witnesses of Jesus' entire public ministry. And um, so, uh, let's look at another verse with that, with that concept. And of course, Luke says that in the introduction of his gospel, uh, that he's, he's uh, written a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who, here's the expression, from the beginning were eyewitnesses, and and uh, I'm sorry, were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered to them, d- delivered them to us. So this is that same category of witnesses from the beginning, and we understand that from John the Baptist. And I'll, I'll show you in a minute why we think this is a reference beginning with John the Baptist in a minute. Um, so. So we have that statement there in Luke. And in Acts chapter 1, um, okay, Acts chapter 1, what's going on here is, is they're replacing Judas. Peter says, the Old Testament said, let, a, let another his office take. And so Peter, this is before Pentecost now, that's during this 10 days, between day 40 and day 50, Peter stands up and says, we need to replace Judas. And notice what he says, Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us. That's his ascension. One of these must become what? A witness with us of his resurrection. So, all I'm saying is these witnesses are are unique and they have been with Jesus, they witnessed his whole life, his whole public ministry. And uh, so, that is likely why Luke includes the women in, in, in his gospel. And I just realized that the last month or so, not because I'm so brilliant, because I was reading a book about from Richard Bauckham on this whole matter of the actual New Testament witnesses, and very interestingly, uh, why some people are named in the New Testament and some aren't, and like some people that are healed, a lot of them aren't named, but there's some that are named, like Bartimaeus. The, the man, the blind man, and yet the man born blind is never named. 
but Bartimaeus is named. And Bachman is making an argument that the reason these individuals are named is because they're actually witnesses in the early church. And, and he makes a whole point that the reason Luke has brought in these women that have followed Jesus all the way from Galilee and they, and they were with him all this time is because these women are actual witnesses and they're at the, and they are the first ones. Who are the first, who are the first ones that saw the resurrected Christ? It was the women. And we only know that from Luke. We learn that, I think we learn that from Luke, that they were the first ones. So, um, anyways, uh, these are, these, these are the eyewitnesses and, uh, so, um, and, and, and now they are going to become, uh, they're going, going to continue to, to, to witness. I'm going to get back to Luke uh, here. So, uh, 48. Okay, and you are witnesses of these things. Now, Luke mentions one other thing, and that is Luke mentions the promise of the Spirit. Okay? as part of his commissioning. Behold, I send you the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So, uh, Luke brings in the promise of the Spirit. Matthew doesn't, doesn't bring that in, but Luke does. And the promise of my Father is the Holy Spirit. And if we read John 14, 15, 16, and 17, we really, we really see that. Is, is the Lord Jesus is saying, it's better that I go away than I stay, actually. Because if I don't go away, I won't send the helper. But if I go away, I'll send the promise. I'll send the helper. And so Luke records that. Um, and Luke, Luke follows this because he records the promise here. And 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 then he uh, uh, then he records the outpouring in the book of Acts in the day of Pentecost. So so Luke uh, Luke connects it here, the promise of the Spirit. You'll be endued with power from on high. And when we go forward in our studies, we'll see that in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a record of the power. Which they, with which they preached the gospel and they worked signs and miracles and multitudes of people were converted. That's what the book of Acts is. The book of Acts proves this statement as all that takes place under the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Uh, they, at this time, when they're hearing this, they have no idea. They're hearing this and, 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 they, and they have no idea. Like, us going to all the nations? What is he talking about? And, but it all comes clear after the Holy Spirit is poured out in, on the day of Pentecost uh, that their message will go to Jerusalem, Samaria, Damascus, Antioch, throughout the Roman Empire. Um, now, historically, they were to what? Wait in Jerusalem. You see that? Uh, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power. They're waiting. You know, he doesn't want them to leave. 
they need to hang on for 10 more days because he, the gospel is going to be preached on the day of Pentecost right there in Jerusalem. So, so don't, don't leave. <laughs> and, and he tells them not to leave until, until you have power uh, because we know they've been in Galilee, correct? We know they've traveled during this 40 days. They've moved between, they've moved between Jerusalem and Galilee maybe more than once during these 40 days. Because Jesus appeared to them at the mountain in Galilee. So we know they've, they've moved back and forth at least once. <laughs> and uh, we, we're, we have one more incident we haven't studied. We know they're in Galilee at the Sea of Tiberias, that fishing expedition that yielded no fish at night. <laughs> that happens in Galilee. So we know during that 40 days they've moved around between, between Jerusalem and Galilee. And so Jesus is saying, no, stay here now. Stay here in Jerusalem, stay in the city until you are endued with power uh, from on high. Uh, so let's see. So historically, that they were to wait in Jerusalem incidentally informs us that they must have returned from Galilee, okay, they must have returned from Galilee. So it's possible that Luke is reporting Jesus is commissioning the disciples after the appearing to the 500. They, remember, we were, we were trying to know as much as we possibly could. Uh, the appearing of the 500, we put it there on the timeline. This happened up, this happened up in Galilee. So the fact that they're back in the city is that uh, Jesus appearing to them at the, let's see, uh, it's possible that Luke is reporting Jesus' commission of the disciples, yeah, after this point, because they're back in Jerusalem. They said, stay here in the city, they're in Jerusalem. Well, they were in Galilee, so just as far as the order of events go, this commissioning happened after that appearance. That's all I'm saying. We can maybe derive that. You know, we're trying to dig out as much chronological information as we can, so there's a little piece of chronological information there. Okay, so if you like minutiae, <laughs> that's how you, you know, you can, I think that's, that, that's the order. Um, okay. And that would also be after the appearing to them at the Sea of Tiberias, which we haven't looked at yet. Okay, um, let's see. Now, we're almost done here with Luke. So in Matthew's, back up a little bit, in Matthew's commission, we see Jesus' exalted authority. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. We see that. And, and he, in, it, in Matthew's commission, and go and make disciples of all men, baptize them in the triune God. In Luke's account of the commission, we learn that Christ's life and suffering and resurrection is rooted in the Old Testament. We learn that from Luke. And from Luke, we learn this going into all nations and making disciples involves what? Uh, preaching repentance for the remission of sins. So part of making a disciple is what? Calling someone to repent and have their sins forgiven. Okay, that goes together, but we learn that now from Luke. Well, what are we to preach to all the nations? Well, we're to preach repentance 
We're to call them to repentance and for the remission of sin in Jesus' name. So that, that's what we're, and we're, we're to begin at Jerusalem. And, and that's exactly what, what Peter does on the day of Pentecost, right? What, is, what does he call them to do? What does he say to them? What's that? No, what does is, what is Peter tell the Jews to do? Repent. <laughs> Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. So they very much follow this commission coming out of Luke. That's what they're to preach. That's what he begins preaching on the day of Pentecost. He calls all that crowd to repent. And what are they repenting of? Their unbelief in Jesus. That's what they're called, being called to repent of. You know, I'm going off the track a little bit, but you know, when we, when we evangelize people, we should not initially go get all stuck on the, on the moral line. Well, you need to repent, you know, that whatever, that, that you're greedy, or you need to repent that because you're living in sexual immorality, or, or you need to repent whatever. Well, those things need to be repented of, but the thing we really need to repent of is unbelief in God's Son. That's where it starts. And that's what he's doing on the day of Pentecost, calling them to repent, that they, they, they have rejected the Son of God they did not believe in the Son of God. They would not bow the knee to the Son of God. So when we think about calling people to repentance, that's a Christ-centered thing. You've been ignoring who Jesus is all your life. He's the Son of God. He's the Savior of the world. You need to repent of that unbelief. See? Um, <clears throat> yeah, and when He's Lord, when you realize who He is, that'll bring all the other things in. Okay? Absolutely, that, that'll bring the rest of the things of our lives you know, in. But you see, it's about Him. It's about our relationship with God through His Son. That's the center. All right? So we're, we're just kind of going off a little bit about you know, what does it mean to pre- repentance for the remission of sin? Is, you, know, you, can't, you can't worship God. You can't know God. You can't be reconciled to God if you ignore Jesus Christ. You, you, you can't do that. So, um, okay, so in Luke, we, we pick up those additional things in Luke. And so now, now we're about, we're ready to go to John. Um, so any, any questions as we transition off of Matthew and Luke? Richard, why don't you use this so that online people can hear you? When you said you didn't want to go too far afield, I understand that, and neither do I. (laughs) (laughs) Well, David, uh, David's out on security. Yeah, he he had us twenty minutes. Right, but with regard to the early church, where you have two lines of communication, let's say minimally two lines to the one to the Jews and one to the Gentiles, and the Jews when they hear the gospel. They have a reference of what they need to, what sins they need to remit. Yes. They they know the law. Yeah. And on the other hand, the the uh, Gentiles do not know the That's law. That's correct. And how could they know they were wrong? And is it natural okay. law that sure. convicts them? That kind of a thing. Okay. But but the part of which I think what you're trying to say, they need to accept. God is God and Jesus as his son, and thereby learning about 
God, they will see how they yes. were wrong. Now, yeah, that's a good, that's a good uh, observation, Richard. Um, repentance for the, for the um, Gentiles looks like Acts chapter 17, is they have to repent of their idolatry. They have been worshiping false gods. Okay, so Romans 1 develops that argument. But when you see Paul on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 15, as what he walked through the city and, and he recognized they were very religious, right? And as he, he says, I observe the objects of your worship. And you even had one altar, what, to an unknown God. So, so calling Gentiles to repentance is going to have to do with calling them to repent of their idolatry and their darkened concept of God. Now, now your other question there is how did they know how could they know that is Romans 1 and 2 makes it really clear that even though without the law they still knew in their consciences that God's almighty power, wisdom and might through the creation so that they are without excuse. So we call that natural conscience meaning Every human being is born with that. And, and so um, they're not uh, innocent. And it's not as though they have no knowledge. Romans 2 says they show the work of, they show the, work of the law of God written in their hearts. Okay. So now the Jewish people were more culpable because they had more knowledge. And that's whole, Paul's whole argument in Romans two. Does that does that help? Or? Oh yes. Okay. Because in the end, as, as I think Luke finished, as this is the gospel of eternal salvation. You have the mic. Oh. Yeah. The, it, a, it's, the gospel is of eternal salvation. How do we attain that? And people naturally are, are interested in that. And if that's part of the process, repentance, yeah. they will do it yeah. for eternal life. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, repentance is a very important subject that we get it right. That one that we preach it, and that we call people to it, and that we, and and we get it right as to. And the best way, the quickest way to get repentance right, is read Jesus's parable in Luke chapter on the prodigal son and the older brother. Okay, if you want to get repentance right, just read that parable. You can't go wrong in defining repentance if you just read that parable okay, uh, in, Luke, in Luke chapter 15. And we know it's about repentance because the two incidents above that, the, lo- the, woman with the, lost co- the guy with the lost sheep and the woman with the lost coin, Jesus says after each of those, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous, and then he gives us an illustration of what repentance looks like with the prodigal son and the older son. So, uh, I, yeah, encourage you to, you know, how do you, sh- how do you call people to repentance? Just read that, read that parable. Uh, it's all illustrated there. Uh, so, okay, any, any, anybody else on this before we go over to John? Okay, so John has uh, his his version of of the Great Commission passage, which is the least known, but in some ways 
I don't know if we want to rank them as to what is more significant, but this commission statement from John is, is very, very significant. So let me get lined up. We're in John 20, around verse 21. So uh, let's just read it. And um, this is when Jesus appears to him. Jesus appears to them a, a second time. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you, and here's the commission. As the Father has sent me, so I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Okay. Uh, there's three very significant things in here. One of them is the sending. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. That's number one. We need to, we need to dig into that. That's big, right? That's really significant. The second thing is here is also a promise or gift of the Holy Spirit. Luke had, has his version, but John has his version. Okay, He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So now that's the promise of the Spirit. And then the third thing is this, this grant, massive grant of authority here. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So all three of these are all. Uh, this is all three of these are foundational to the church's mission to go into all these nations, and all three of these are are very uh, very important. So we're we're going to take a look at them. So <clears throat> uh, he repeated the peace to you blessing. I, I I won't read that again. It's there in the notes. So as the Father has sent me, I also send you. So. Jesus, as the Father has sent Jesus, Jesus was sent into the world to reveal the one true God and the truth and to reveal how mankind can be reconciled to this God. Okay? That's why Jesus was sent into the world, is to make known the one and only true God, as opposed to all those idols that the Gentiles are worshiping, and how mankind can be reconciled to this one true God. That's why he was sent into the world. Right? And that's how we ought to express it to, to our generation. God is on a mission of reconciliation between himself and humankind. And Jesus is his emissary sent into our world on this mission of reconciliation between God, our Creator, and humanity. Okay. That's, and, 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 and the way that is going to be accomplished is by truth, knowledge. The Son's going to reveal the true God as opposed to all these idols we have created. 
Okay? And not only that, there's going to be reconciliation because of the problem of sin and, and so forth. But that's basically the mission of the Father sending His Son. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Um, so His disciples are sent into the world for the same purpose. So, um, all right, I've already said quite a bit of that. Jesus sent into the world as light shining in the darkness. If we know our New Testaments, we know he says that. That light is to continue to shine. That light is to continue to shine through Jesus' disciples, whom he now sends into the world. Think about that. You know, Jesus' light shining in the darkness. Now, how's that light going to keep shining? By sending his disciples into the world. That light continues to shine through his disciples sent into the world. And I'll show you that that actually includes us before we're done here. So, uh, Jesus made this claim, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have what? The light of life. So it's not surprising that Jesus tells his sent disciples, Matthew, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Okay? Jesus is sent into the world to be the light of the world. Jesus sends us for the same reason. Okay? So, um, now, <clears throat> We should understand this sending in view of what Jesus has already said to them in chapter 13, verse 20. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives, what? Whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent. So we, we, we are going to under, understand this sending in, in regard to this awesome statement. He who receives whomever I send receives me. And now he's telling them, I am sending you into the world. Okay? So if people receive those sent, they receive Jesus the sender. And then, of course, he connects it to the Father. And he who receives me, what? receives the true God, receives who sent me. I mean, there are a few words that are more massive on the lips of Jesus than, than what we're reading right there. Okay. Um, so, the apostles and early disciples will be the first sent ones. The Father sent Jesus such that whoever receives him receives the Father, Jesus also has sending authority that whoever receives whom Jesus sends receives both Jesus and His Father. Okay? That's the Great Commission. Um, the disciples' mission was on Jesus' mind on the night that he was betrayed. And it is seen in Jesus' prayer for them, John 17, 18 through 19. 
This is Jesus' prayer for them. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Okay? So he's praying for them. And he's already knows, I'm going to send these disciples into the world like you sent me into the world. So he's praying for them. Now, although Matthew and Luke do not include Jesus' sending statements in their Great Commission passages, they do include his similar statements in their Gospels elsewhere. And we see that in Luke chapter 10 and verse 16. And this was when he sent out the 70 he, he took 70 of his disciples and he sent them out all through the region of Galilee in a preaching mission. And this is when he commissioned them, he said this, he who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. Okay. He, and and the, he, yeah, he, who re, he, he who rejects you, sorry, let me get it right. He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Okay? So Luke is on the same page as John. And Luke gives it to us earlier when Jesus commissioned the 70 and sent them out. And so we find out that that, that earlier commissioning is suddenly going to become a worldwide commissioning after Jesus leaves. Right? So um, Matthew uh, says, says a similar thing in Matthew 10, verse 40. He, he says a very similar thing. He receives you, receives me. He receives me, receives him who sent me. So uh, those Gospels have the same teaching. Now, disciples are Christians today who faithfully communicate Jesus' message have an awesome degree of authority. Okay? To, dis to dismiss a faithful messenger of Jesus Christ is to dismiss Christ. You see that? He receives you, receives me, receives him who sent me, but Luke has it in the negative. He who rejects you, what rejects me? To, di to dismiss a faithful messenger of Christ is to dismiss Christ. Okay? And, uh, um, yeah, let me say this. We lose sight of how significant a role each one of us plays in Christ's kingdom. You see, some might try to combine this to the twelve. But we gotta we gotta work against that because this statement in Luke is to who? The seventy. Right? There aren't seventy apostles. You see, if you try to confine this commission to the twelve, and some do, some some have tried to do that. You can't, you can't biblically do that. It, it may be ambiguous 
who Jesus is talking to in the passages I've read you earlier, but it's not ambiguous here. Okay, so here he commissioned 70, and he, and he said it's true of all 70 of them. If, if they're faithful messengers, and they faithfully give the message of Jesus, then if they're rejected, Jesus is rejected, and if Jesus is rejected, the Father is rejected. Okay? So, that's, uh, that. I, I mean, if you really think about that, it's, it's kind of almost speechless. You see, we, we, don't, we, we think of ourselves, I don't know the word, but we, we are like princes and kings. I don't know the word. That, that if you know the gospel, you know who Jesus Christ is. And, and, and you communicate that. Jesus is saying, you're, you're doing, you have my authority. My authority is in your words. And how people respond to your words is, is going to set their eternal destiny. Because when you're faithful to my message and my words, it is my message and my words. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. So, um, yeah, think of yourself that way. So John, of course, thanks to John, we know that Jesus included this investment authority in his disciples, uh, in his speaking, you know, of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. You know, we're in that, we're in that 40 days where Jesus is speaking to things. He's teaching the disciples about the kingdom during that 40 days. Acts chapter 1 says that. He was teaching them about the kingdom of God during that 40 days. And one of the things that he's obviously including during that 40 days is teaching them about this concept. I'm sending you. Those that receive you, receive me. Those that reject you, reject me. That's part of their instruction of how the kingdom of God works. That's how his kingdom that he's establishing, that's how it works. And that, by the way, is how his reign extends into all the nations. Okay? His reign, that, that, that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, it's extending into all the nations because his people are speaking in his name in all those nations. Okay? And he's decided not to judge those nations yet. He's decided to seek reconciliation. You know, his first coming, I came not to judge the world. First coming, he says that. I came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. So, so we're between first and second coming, and there's a big age of grace and mercy in there, calling people to what? Repent and be reconciled to the true God who sent his son into the world. You know, and, and, and when, when, when we talk to people about the gospel, we should talk to them about these kind of things. We could tell them what God's doing. And, 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 and our, our culture needs to hear that kind of stuff. And, and, and so, you know, talk about Jesus and that the Father sent him and why he sent him. 
before you get embriered in you know, some mortal controversy. Those are important. I'm not saying they're not important, but who Jesus is is more important. And that the Father sent Him, and now we're sent. See, you see what I'm saying? Um, okay. So, uh, let's see. All right. So, that's the first of the three significant matters from, from John. Uh, the second one, I don't know if we have enough time or not. Do you have thoughts or questions on this this first one? It's it's really big. <laughs> um, anybody? Okay. Uh, the second one. All right. Let's try to do the second one. The, the second significant statement, which has some things that are a little more difficult to understand, is the promise of the Spirit as related by, by John. Um, and, okay, right here. Okay, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And now we have the promise of the Spirit. And when he had said this, okay, when he had said this sending, he, he breathed on, or he breathed, and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So this is kind of like Luke. It sounds different, but the main subject is the same. Because when Jesus gave that commission in Luke, he said, behold, what? I send the promise of my Father Terry in Jerusalem. So the first thing I want to say and just get it dismissed right away is when Jesus commissions, he always provides the promise for the enablement to do it. And we see that in Luke. We see that here. And when we, when we went through uh, John 14, 15, 16, every time he commissioned them in those chapters, it immediately follows with a promise. <laughs> to enable them to fulfill this commission. Luke and John follow that pattern. We have the sending commission, and it's immediately linked to this symbolic, I give you the Holy Spirit. So, be encouraged, okay? He equips us. He equips you to speak in His name. That's his promise to all of his disciples. It's not, I'm going to send you and go out there and figure out how to do it on your own or whatever. No, I'm going to send you and here's a promise that equips you. And that's what he's doing here. And that's what he did in Luke. Okay, so, so lay hold of that first. Sending and promise of enablement. Okay. Um, so... Okay, so let's see. Uh, let, me, let me get in my notes here. <clears throat> here it is. Yeah, all right. It's, we're on the right-hand side of 249, down last paragraph. Now, I already talked about Luke. Okay, 
Now, whether Luke's account and John's account refer to the same occasion, it's just it's not clear. Uh, we don't need to know that. Luke's account, both in the Gospel and in Acts, indicates that the disciples... Yeah, this is where there's some technical discussion about this passage. Luke's account indicates that the disciples don't receive this promise, what, until Pentecost. Wait until Pentecost before you... you, They're not going to receive the Holy Spirit until Pentecost. That's clear in Luke's account. Not on, and Luke's account is consistent with John 7.39. It's in John 7.39. Let's do that. So, Luke's account is consistent with John 7.39, where Jesus mentions the promise of the Spirit. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive, and this explanatory note, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay? So if we synchronize Jesus being glorified with the ascension, when he ascended and then sat down at the right hand of God, what we're reading in John's commissioning passage we haven't reached that point yet. Are, are, are you with me? You see why there's a little tension between... Because John speaks in the present tense. He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit as if they received it at that moment. Okay, that's, that's where some of the discussion comes up. John makes it sound like that evening they received the Holy Spirit before the ascension. But... Luke made it very clear, wait until you receive the power. And, and Jesus made this statement that, John made this statement, the Holy Spirit's not given because Jesus was what not yet glorified his ascension. So uh, we'll talk about that first. You, do you guys see, see what I'm saying? Uh, uh, okay, so that, that's why this yields some some discussion. Um, okay. We're back here in John. Uh, I don't have any absolute simple explanation, but there are some things that, that could help. Uh, uh, we go. Yeah, I think we're on, we're on page 250 now. Right. So, um, we're not going to do a detailed discussion of this, but there's three things that, that we can note on the outset here. It's not necessary for the on them to be included in the translation. Notice, um, notice in the New King James translation, which I have here, and here are the other translations, you notice that's in italics? So what does that mean? Yeah, the the original text doesn't have that word in it. That's what italics means in the New American Standard or New King James. The translators are just alerting alerting you that that uh, that uh, doesn't 
doesn't necessarily have to be in there. Um, and even the on doesn't necessarily have to be in there because that verb can simply be he exhaled, not necessarily on them, okay? He exhaled, and then he said to them, and receive the Holy Spirit. So that enters into this discussion. Now, now if two there, if Luke and John are reporting the same event, then, then it would be clear that what's recorded in John is referring to the blessing to come in a few days from now at Pentecost. See, if, if Luke and John are saying the same event, Luke's statement is really clear, wait until this happens. And the Luke statement is clearer than the John statement, right? And what's one of our rules of Scripture interpretation? And which kind of Scripture interprets which kind of Scripture? Go a little further. The plain statements interpret the difficult statements. So we're in that situation right here. We've got a very clear statement in Luke, 1, in, 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 in Luke 24, and we've got a statement in John that isn't as clear. Okay, And we've got a very plain statement in John 7.39. The Spirit was not yet given, what? Because Jesus was not yet glorified. So those statements are pretty clear that this outpouring of the Holy Spirit is going to happen when Jesus is glorified. That's his ascension. And, and, and Jesus says, wait, you know, 10 days. Luke say, uh, uh, Luke's, Jesus says, Luke records it, wait 10 days. So that's all pretty clear. So, so if these two statements are said kind of on the same occasion, we, we probably go with Luke and find some other explanation for how to understand the present tense of John. Um, so, otherwise, may, you know, have two, two glorifications? That doesn't sound right. Uh, so, uh, now that I've confused you all, uh, number three, <laughs> unless we conclude that the disciples received the initial blessing of the Holy Spirit twice, well, that's another possibility, well, they received that initial blessing twice. They received it here that evening when, when Jesus exhaled or breathed or breathed on them. They received it then. And then later on Pentecost, they received it again. Now, one of the reasons, one of the difficulties with that approach uh, is because there's no indication that the disciples are transformed at this point. They're in Jerusalem with the doors locked. And then a little bit later, we're going to see them at the Sea of Tiberias, almost like they're going back, fishing. They're going back to their previous occupation. So there's no indication that they were transformed that evening, which which bodes that nah, this isn't Pentecost. <laughs> because on Pentecost, they were transformed, right? They were endued with power. They were transformed. They were fearless. It's like day and night. And that transition hasn't happened yet. So, um, okay, now, 
Probably, I, I lean, if you, if you leave the on them out, I leave that this is a symbolic gesture. Lead that way that this was a symbolic gesture that was fulfilled on the Pentecost. He, he's going he's to uh, give them the Holy Spirit and this out-breathing on them, this is a symbolic gesture of, of the coming of the Holy Spirit and uh, so let's see. Let me find my own notes here. Yeah. And I said that. Some, yeah, it, it's it's likely that John record what he records was a symbolic gesture of the promise soon to be fulfilled. Well. What's significant here is that Jesus promises them the enablement to carry out the mission that he's sending them on. I, I said that earlier, but that's worth repeating. What's significant, again, is this promise of enablement. Uh, like, for them to be witnesses, like, it, it, he's going to fulfill John fifteen twenty six. Let me back up here. He's going to fulfill this, you see. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me to them, right? And what? And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So, that is, the, that is the promise. Um, and they are going to bear witness in this massively significant way when the Holy Spirit, when the Helper is given. Um, so, they are sent and they will have enablement. Um, John 16.33 is also like that in a, in a broader... <clears throat> broader sense, 16.33. Yeah. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Okay. So... All right, that leads us up to the third most significant one, but we won't do that this evening. Uh, the one about whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Whoever sins you retain or retain. Uh, that's quite a statement, and, and, and we'll work on that next week. Any, any questions or, or thoughts or additions uh, on the matters? Anybody? <laughs> okay, well, I don't know where the microphone is. Give it to Hugo, and he's going to lead us in prayer. You don't know who Hugo is? He's coming to get it. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for uh, this Wednesday night, Lord, to gather together and to uh, 
be taught your word, Lord, and to delve deeper into these things. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you sent out your apostles into the world, Lord, to seek us. Uh, even now, here in Phoenix, Arizona, so far from that original time, Lord, um, that we could hear the truth and to hear uh, what you have done, Lord, through your son, Jesus Christ, for the repentance of sins. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. And we just uh, just want to say, please, uh, Lord, provide safety as we go on our way home and to meditate on these things and ultimately just to praise your name, Lord, for uh, your perfect justice and mercy that met at the cross. Mm. We uh, ask all these things, Lord, in your son's blessed name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.